Hi guys, it's me. Welcome back to Something Private, a podcast about everything related to the vagina, from sex to health and of course, the society. My name is Nicole and I'm your producer and your host. It's finally December and we're kicking off season 2 of Something Private. Woohoo! It's been a hot minute, honestly. On this first episode, we're going to be talking about mental health. Because I know it's really important for many of you tuning in, I shared a regram by this artist about ways to take care of your mental health on Instagram like two weeks back. And so many of you replied like, Yes, I really needed this. Thank you for sharing. Mental health is really important to me too. I've been wanting to talk about it since last season, but I was a bit afraid because I haven't visited a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I've had my own episodes with depression and anxiety, but I've not been clinically diagnosed. So I I, I never really thought that I was qualified enough to talk about or like to have a discussion on this topic. But... In hindsight, I still think it's an important topic to discuss in the world of female health and wellness. Disclaimer, I'm not here to tell you guys what to do or to pretend like I know a lot, but I just think that I'd like to have a conversation because, you know, how many of us have heard about or know someone personally that has struggled with or is struggling with mental health issues? I've had friends that are clinically depressed, some struggle with anxiety, panic attacks. My own dad went through like an episode of depression and he lost so much weight. My own sister, when she was 12, she had an eating disorder, you know. It's so common. In fact, it was reported in 2018 that one in seven people in our country has experienced some form of mental disorder, a word that was used in an article by Today, which is an increase from one in eight, like two years before. You know, be it more awareness of mental disorders or more sources of stress. I think it's time that we, I don't know, we talked more about it. But before I introduce the guest for today, I want to talk to you guys about the Kind Friend Journal. Journaling is an extremely good way to distress, articulate your emotions and to reflect. It's one of the most cost-effective ways that you can use to work on your mental health. The Kind Friend Journal is a small, trusty companion that allows you to do just that. It has weekly templates that can help you plan your time by setting goals and tracking tasks, as well as to reflect on your feelings and practice positive thoughts. You can get your Kind Friend Journal in the colours Warm Blush, Calm Sky, Gentle Sunshine and Timeless Black. Head over to thekindfriend.com to get started on your journal journey, or for a gift for your friend you know will benefit from journaling. That's thekindfriend.com or thekindfriend on Instagram. So to help me out on this episode, um, I have a friend. Her name is Abigail. Abigail is a listener on the podcast and she reached out to me sometime in October and she said, Hi Nicole, just popping by to say that I'm loving the podcast so far. If you're looking to explore talking about mental health, I'll be glad to share my story. For the past 4 plus years, I've been suffering from reactive depression, which was a result from a misdiagnosis of my actual condition, which I eventually found out is called fibromyalgia. I was and is still in a lot of pain, and I've been through all types of antidepressants and even electroconvulsive therapy, which was a desperate last resort. But I am now a lot better and would love to share my story in hopes that it can help others. Wait, wait. Hold up, hold up. Did she just say electroconvulsive therapy? Like, like, what? Like, why would... what is that shit still allowed in Singapore? Like, I, why would anyone want to do that to themselves? 
The thing is, why did I agree to it was the doctor was offering it to me as a last resort treatment. At that point, I had kind of reached that state of desperation whereby if someone were to tell me to to chop off my legs and can take this depression or whatever it is away from me, yeah, I'll do it, you know, take this thing away from me so that I can resume life. What you see in those like horror movies where they pass uh, electricity through the brain to shock the brain into correcting itself. That kind of treatment is for people with really severe depression or like severe forms of schizophrenia whereby at least three years of all forms of treatments did not work. And after the ECT, they would really become more alert and become more normal in a sense. I mean, like, that's not the best way to describe it. But for me, the ECT did joke my brain to produce the right serotonin or whatever chemicals. But the problem was the effect only lasted two weeks. For most patients, it's supposed to last six months to two years. I was first misdiagnosed with depression and after that, two years down, when the treatments were still not working, the doctors actually adjusted my diagnosis to be chronic depression, uh, also known as dysthymia. Somewhere around that time, I kind of felt maybe I, I should kind of get a second opinion. So on my own, I kind of went and got a second opinion from a private neurologist. That neurologist actually was the one who diagnosed me with the correct diagnosis as fibromyalgia and finally everything clicked. The very first brush that I had with depression was probably in primary school. Of course, at the time I didn't know it. I was actually stressed with like schoolwork but I think it wasn't really the stress from the schoolwork but it was because there was some lack of understanding from my family particularly my father, that actually uh, resulted in a lot of stress in me. I guess from young, I was the kind of person that suppressed all of it in me and, you know, like, just, like, pushed through. So I never really knew that I needed to get help for how I was feeling or that or that I even needed help in the first place or that uh, some of these feelings were things that needed to be addressed. The very first time in my life when I realized that something is really wrong, it was around my early to mid-twenties. I was kind of the victim of a office bullying scenario. When I was in that situation, it really felt really terrible, yeah, because every day when you are subject to that situation, right, it makes you wonder about yourself. Right from the start, my... My self-esteem and self-worth was already not very strong when I couldn't really get much understanding from family at home. I guess also because it was my first job, I just kind of thought, okay, maybe everyone else goes through it, you know? Like, maybe it's just like that. Like, work is just like that. On days when I'm really feeling really lousy at home and then and tempers flare, right? My father would be like, if work is supposed to be easy, why would people pay you? And if you're brought up in this kind of, with this kind of mindset, right? Definitely it's not healthy, but I didn't know it then. Actually, it was when my whole body really broke. When one day I couldn't get myself out of bed at all, like I was just feeling so fatigued and initially I just thought, okay, maybe it's just the flu. 
and then I'll just like sleep it off and say like two three days but it just didn't get better but I didn't have a fever or anything and you know like when I went back again for another MC you know and that's when the GP gives me this look and that's when I realized that oh okay there's something else that's going on. I happened to see a HPB billboard at the bus stop near my house and it listed the symptoms of depression. Yeah, that kind of prompted me to think, okay, there really is something wrong. Yeah, and that was when I realized that, okay, okay, then this must be depression because there's nothing else that explains it, you mm. know? I didn't go back to the GP because I didn't want to have a record. Like in Singapore, right? Like, I think a lot of people who first realized that, oh, they may have either depression or uh, anxiety. Yeah, when they first realize they have some of these symptoms or they can identify with it, and they realize that they need help, but they are afraid to seek help for it. A lot of times, the like the obstacle to it, it's the fear of leaving a formal record because like our country is so small. And you mean if it's on a formal record, like if you go for a job interview, then that means like your employee can your employer can see the private employers will not be able to access that. Mm. Yeah, but. For government, if you want to work in government or civil service, uh, it will be on a record, lah. Yes, correct. And would you have to like declare like for the private companies? Like usually there will be a declaration, so they will not be able to check your medical records mm, in the system. But usually this thing will be asked in one of the questions. Mm. Yeah, which is actually something that after. You know, I went through this whole thing and I even was warded in a psychiatric ward and I met so many of these mental health uh, patients and all. I began to learn so much more about it and began to understand more about their world. Yeah, and I began to realize that I think this has to change because a lot of them actually, you know, like when they get proper help and all that, they can function. Yeah, really well, yeah. correct, equally yeah. and... The problem is when you make this such a big obstacle, right? People are afraid to get help. And that's when people will not be able to function properly because if they are not uh like they are not willing or they are afraid to get help, then they'll continue to let this condition perpetuate. I started seeing the private psychiatrist October twenty fourteen. My diagnosis was like depression then May 2015 I had my first attempt then my psychiatrist felt that I still needed to be in a psychiatric ward but my family my parents said that my hospital bill was already really high because of yep. yeah being in a private hospital right so so from this point on I started seeing um, the psychiatrist at IMH and I started getting my healthcare done in the public healthcare system it was during this time in February 2016 that I had my second attempt
after that, I continued seeing the IMH um, psychiatrist and also IMH psychologist for therapy. Yeah, and it was somewhere along this time after the second attempt, I felt like, yeah, something is not right, you know, like, I think I should get a second opinion. The whole time I have been trying to convince my psychiatrist that I felt like my physical symptoms were more apparent than my emotional symptoms. But then my psychiatrist was telling me that's because your depression is manifesting as physical symptoms, which they call somatic symptoms. So I finally uh, get one appointment to see a private neurologist. At the start of the appointment, I told him that I'm just here to get a second opinion from you and I told him this whole story about like my whole diagnosis journey and everything and then yeah and he did a full uh, detailed examination and then finally yeah he got me diagnosed as having fibromyalgia. After I got the the private neurologist diagnosis right I brought it back to the IMH doctor and then he told me that he feels that okay uh like even if i really do have fibromyalgia like he feels that it's because my depression is manifesting as psychosomatic symptoms Mm -hmm. yeah and so if i address my depression then if it whatever it is whether it's fibromyalgia or you know whatever it is these physical symptoms will go away as well yeah so it's like huh back to square one kind mm, of thing mm. so i felt like okay i was getting to nowhere law and then like finally like at that point of time what he could give me was uh ect la. yeah and uh yeah so i took it law didn't really work Mm -hmm. because you know the Mm -hmm. effects didn't last long enough and it gave me like other side effects that uh lasted longer you know like migraines yeah that was when he said okay maybe you can try to see whether can treat from the pain side and see how it is or yeah so that's when i started uh, i got the referral to see the pain specialist at ttsh kind of a holistic treatment whereby uh there's a doctor which is a pain specialist so he prescribes the medication and then there's a pain psychologist so that's like talk therapy and then there's physiotherapist so it's a like multi-pronged approach Mm. so that's what i've been doing actually the the so-called um on label kind of drugs for treating fibromyalgia are antidepressants as well just mm. that they are this one kind of antidepressant called Simbalta it's hard to say whether it's working or not la, but fibromyalgia is a lifelong journey la. Mm. oh my god so, so, so yeah. from 2014 until 2018 you've been living with a misdiagnosis so they've just been like giving you antidepressants it's like trial and error and, yeah endless trial and error endless trial and error honestly I would have to say it's a work in progress fibromyalgia right there is no cure for it so it's a chronic condition there's only trying to find the right way to manage it i think what abigail said a lot of us can relate to when it comes to mental health we were brought up 
understanding that it was, you know, this super distant thing that we would never, that would never happen to us or, you know, we didn't even know how to begin approaching because, like, nobody talks about it, right? And I went through the same thing. So my first ever mental struggle was back in junior college year two when I was 18. I was in a really toxic relationship with my boyfriend back then and we were damn lame and like very childish lah. Like we had, we were super bad for one another but we just kept trying to force the relationship to work. Haha, <laughs> how many of us have experienced that? Um, yeah, so over two years, like my mental health just kept getting worse and worse. I was like pushing friends away. I didn't share with people what I was going through, what I was feeling. And I think like between like my ex-boyfriend and I, we did some really horrible things to one another. Eventually, I started to lose a lot of weight. Like, I was freaking skinny. I had a lot of panic attacks in the mornings before school when I woke up. Um, and then in the evenings, like, after school, like, I would have, like, panic attacks again. It was also here that I started to develop, like, death anxiety. Like, I was super anxious about dying. I don't know why. And I was just super, like, disinterested in, like, anything. Kind of like what Abigail said, you know, I used to think that depression was just like somebody crying all the time, like sad 24-7, unable to get out of bed. This like, the figure in my mind was like a thin, sickly, pale looking individual. And it wasn't me because I was still eating, I was still, I had to study for my A-levels. Um, I wasn't sad all the time, you know, so I thought, you know, seeking help wasn't something I thought I needed. And it wasn't available to me because my parents just also never thought that it was that severe. And then last year, I had a really bad episode again. I had just come home from living overseas for a while and I was struggling very hard to adjust back to life in Singapore. Context is that um, also, like before I left, um, I had some unresolved uh issues that I just like conveniently chucked aside so like coming back men having to face them and to deal with it head on so during this period of time unlike JC I gained a lot of weight like this bitch was fat and I can remember feeling like super shitty all the time like there was a weight constantly holding onto me weighing me down and I wanted to lie on the floor like a lot sometimes when I was out with friends or like if I was distracted the weight would be you know, like, temporarily lifted, but when I was alone, it felt, like, uh super, like, uh heavy, you know, and I always felt very introverted and moody, and the funny thing was that I wanted to continue to sit in, like, this sadness. It's like, you know, misery, love com- misery loves company, right? At this point, I kind of felt like, okay, maybe, you know what, sis is maybe depressed, but I think one thing that stayed with me was the thought that it wasn't serious enough for me to seek help for. Then, so because I'm poor. Anyway, um, the new year came and I started becoming better. I thought then maybe, you know, I had this condition or like what I was going through was seasonal depression. But the point is that um, there are individuals like Abigail who suffer really insurmountable kinds of pain constantly and they really do require like more attentive help. But there are also individuals like me who battle with like the occasional mild episode. And I think what I'm trying to say is that mental health is a spectrum. No one is simply depressed or happy. You know, it's not, it's not a binary. So yeah, I think we're going to be talking about a variety of 
things from destigmatizing mental health conditions to how we can seek help for each of us specific to what we're going through and how the system should and can be improved. I've always been very vocal and honest about my feelings, my emotions and my thoughts. I'm a Pisces. And I've been through countless of diaries, blogs, notebooks and journals. And I even coded my own blog skin template when I was 12. Sis was a coding prodigy, don't touch me. I'm kidding, I wasn't. Journaling is a really important part of my life because of all the good that it's done for me. When you're forced to sit down and reflect on your day and then, you know, choose specific words to describe that feeling and moment, it makes you accountable to a shitty action or feeling and reminds you that it's something that you have to work on later. I've been blogging in a private space mostly, but recently I've started penning down my thoughts in my kind friend journal. And honestly, writing is so liberating. I know, some of you are like, Nicole, I haven't held a pen in 10 years. My handwriting's like, shit! Great. One great thing about journaling on an actual book is that nobody cares. You don't have to follow any lines. You don't have to have the perfect handwriting. Want to draw out of the box? Go ahead. Want to skip a page or two? Go ahead. Scribbling at random is actually very therapeutic. And there's a lot of value in rationalizing thoughts, reflecting on past instances, and then growing from them. I actually attribute a lot of my own personal growth to this. Like, who hasn't looked back on a blog post and gone, Oh my god, I was so dumb. I was so stupid. The truth is, you know, you probably don't have enough bandwidth on a daily basis to recall every good, bad, or average memory, and then work through them like a year later. You know, but journaling helps you do that. My life moves at quite a fast pace and I believe for most of us, it's the same. So what I like to do is I like to take some time after I shower every night just to kind of pen down about 50 words or more about my day, what I've been feeling, what I've been thinking, maybe even what I ate or a new exciting idea I have or thought I'd like to come back to. With my new kind friend journal, I have dedicated sections where I get to rank my mood on the daily to check my task and to reflect on what I've been grateful for in a week. It's a safe space for me to work on my well-being by reminding me to be kind to myself and others. So let's read a little entry I made a week ago. Last Friday, my mood was above average. It was excellent because it was a Friday. I was gonna meet a good friend for dinner and on Saturday, I was gonna go and watch uh, a Rick and Morty marathon with my friends, haha. <laughs> um, that's another thing I like. I love writing down what I did on a particular day and then in a very instant and then reflect on my journey one year later. You know, it makes me... Like, small moments uh, can be very fleeting but at the same time, when you look back on them like years later, you're like, oh my god, it's such a precious memory. So I got my kind friend journal in the timeless black colour because I want to look like a busy and important adult. Okay, no, but honestly, it's because it's really sleek. Um, it's got this like gold rims on the sides and it's available in three other colours. Warm blush, calm sky and gentle sunshine. I love it. It's amazing. I love the names. To get your kind friend journal, head over to thekindfriend.com now. That's thekindfriend.com or thekindfriend on Instagram. It's really a fast free way for you to start taking care of yourself. Let's 
talk about our mental health care system in Singapore. So earlier I mentioned that people going through mental health conditions has increased in the last like three years or so, you know, one in seven instead of one in eight. But according to the latest data by the WHO, Singapore still has one of the lowest psychiatrists per population among developed countries. We have about 2.8 psychiatrists per 100,000 people compared to other developed countries like the UK that has about 17 for every 100,000 people. 2 versus 17. Since that's like 15 people. Oh my god. It's not that we're damn slow, okay? Society is picking up. Apparently, the number of young Singaporeans aged 16 to 30 seeking help from IMH chat system has increased by 190% in 2017. And then there's, you know, non-profit organizations like Samaritans of Singapore, you know, influencers like Norel King, Sonia Chu, they're all coming forward to share about their own personal experiences. But even with the younger generation growing more accepting of seeking help from places like IMH, I think like the institution still has a very big image issue among the remaining of our population. Like on days when I was feeling too fatigued, right, mm. and then I had to take uh, cab to my appointments mm. and then like the cab driver you know like some cab drivers they yeah. are quite chatty one and then especially you book your as in your destination is to such an interesting place uh, and then they'll ask you law then like slowly slowly the yeah, cab yes. driver ask you uh, like wow xiao, uh, xiao jie, you you work here uh. yeah. why why you go there yeah, yeah. that kind of thing uh. when i was in the denial stage then of course i i, I would just say uh, yeah yeah i I going i'm working there then the uncle will ask more say wow what are you working as then blah blah then like oh like need to make up more stories then like kind of scenes when i reach the acceptance stage right then I just say, I, I come here and see doctor. Mm. Yeah, and then the uncle will be like stunned and shocked. And then like some of the uncles, uh, then they will be like, okay, then the whole journey don't talk already. <laughs> because it's like, okay, don't know how to say. Don't know what to say already. Like, then, like, yeah, correct. Then at the end, uh, yeah, correct. Yeah. Then at the end, when you when when I alight, right, then, then the uncle will say, oh, uh, Xiaomi, take care, uh, take care. Some of the others, right, then they'll be like, huh, Really? But I see you look okay there. You don't look like you need to come here, what? I had already um, educated myself quite a bit on what it means. It's not like when you are not so mentally healthy means you are crazy kind of thing. Yeah, so I wanted to also educate other people, try mm. to explain a bit and all that. Then it began to dawn on me that actually it does make a difference. Like more and more of these conversations need to happen because that then the uncle will say, Oh, is it? Then, like, oh, this person so-and-so that I know, uh, mm. they should come and see you also. Like, I explained uh, what happened to me. Uh. Mm. This so-and-so that he knows also has some of these conditions. Then he said, uh, wow, then, then probably maybe should come and see you also uh, before it gets worse. I think what this kind of shows is that, you know, on an individual level, um, people are more open to talking about it, to helping one another, but like the institution and corporations are super slow with catching up. Like literally, we just we just saw our first ever mental health insurance being rolled out this year in January 2019. One of the major insurance companies rolled out a policy covering five conditions, um, including major depressive disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and Tourette syndrome. How it works is that once a policyholder is diagnosed by a psychiatrist, for any of the five covered mental illnesses, the health benefits from the coverage will be paid out. However, 
the policy is only available for those who have not yet been diagnosed with a mental illness. So, like, it's great, but then, like, oof, like, oof, like, why got so many loopholes, you know? Because it's so expensive to pay for treatment to get better, and God knows, like, how many man hours are lost when people don't seek help to get better. You know, like, we're all about labour force, right? Like, the country's all about labour force. So, what's up? Even right now, to you, I don't look like a sick person, right? Mm. Yeah, so sometimes, uh, like, even when I go to my doctor, sometimes my doctor will say, Oh, Biha, you look good. Yeah, and uh, okay, like, so are you, are you going back to work? This, this are often the question that comes back to me. And like, as in, I, I find the question a little... Like, I find it really tiring to answer this question because, like, it's not like I don't want to. Like, I just can't find such a job in Singapore that can accommodate the kind of hours that I can work, which is, like, really intermittent. And, like, even the days are really intermittent, yeah, based on my condition, yeah, which is also hard to predict. Yeah, so now nowadays, I just tell people, yeah, my full-time job is trying to find ways to get myself well enough so that I can get myself back to some form of employment. So, Sidley has done this really extensive article about mental health care finances in August this year. You guys can check it out, but I'm just going to dish out four important takeaways. Number one, there are subsidies in Singapore. So, Medisafe. You can use Medisafe to pay for your treatment and also for the treatment of your immediate family members. But the sum is kept at a limit and, of course, only, only applicable to public hospitals. Number two, besides the mental health insurance policy, there actually are some other policies that include some mental health conditions, but it's not all policies and you really need to check with the agent you purchase from. So, really iffy again. Number three, if you need therapy, the most affordable would be AWARE. Um, they charge about $20 per session and other places include Clarity Singapore that goes up to 40 But most of these services seem catered mostly to females, um, not so much to the males who actually also honestly need help. Number four, there are a lot of free helplines. There are 24-7 helplines available like Tinkle Friend, Samaritans of Singapore, Singapore Association of Mental Health, IMH, and so on. The article concludes with, Let's face it, Singapore isn't the most cost-friendly place for people dealing with mental health issues. Okay, when I read that, I was like, who is this author? Let's give her a clap for keeping it real because... <clears throat> You know she knows. I think like generally, right, a lot of people think that people who have like mental health conditions are like mentally ill. Even just the term mentally ill, right, rightfully shouldn't have a negative connotation at all. But it has, at least in Singapore. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that that person is crazy. Mm. It doesn't mean that that person is not fit to be living amongst other people in society. Yeah, and actually, the funny thing is, I even had those same words um, shouted back to me. It was shouted back to me by my father, actually. Yeah, he was like, it was one of those times when, like, I, he was angry, and then, like, I wasn't able to, like, handle his anger, and then I had a meltdown kind of thing. Yeah, and then he, he just, 
um shouted back at me and and he, he called the police on me and yeah so he said like yeah she's crazy and you know like like she shouldn't be living among us normal people if you put uh, this kind of crazy people among us normal people she would turn all of us crazy also yeah and i think that probably sums up what a lot of the general population thinks i think it was really going through all of it that i realized that perhaps um what i should have started wasn't to go to the doctor first or i mean like to go to the psychiatrist first mm. but perhaps i should have sought out a psychologist first mm. yeah basically to uh, go for therapy first mm. yeah because and it was only going through it that i realized that psychiatric medications the side effects are really no joke la. some of them are once you're on them right like it's really hard to get off them the withdrawal symptoms are really severe mm. like i actually ever called the imh like 24 7 hotline before it's a crisis hotline managed by trained um like counselors i would say they are really trained to handle uh, uh, imh patients who call uh, when they are in need of crisis like actually in singapore there are only two crisis hotline for mental health targeted towards mental health uh, needs the second one is operated by the samaritans of singapore and these two are uh, they run 24 7 so like for any listeners who are actually like listening right now and if to you it is a crisis you know uh, it's a mental health crisis then you can call uh, either of these two hotlines the people who are managing these hotlines they are able to they are all trained and able to help you to calm you down and also uh, direct you what to do next on where to get help and if uh, you were to need help to come to you they will also be able to direct that to you Final thoughts about dealing with mental health. I think it's important to remember that um, whatever you're feeling is valid and you don't and shouldn't need to compare yourself to others. This is something that I personally struggle with on a regular, but I think listening to myself is the most beneficial thing I've done for myself, like ever. And I really could not advocate for it more. Thing is, not everybody can afford regular therapy sessions or maybe you're just like me and you think that your depression doesn't require a twice-weekly session to work through some childhood pain. Um, in that case, here are some things that I do to make sure I'm feeling okay. Um, I love to spend time doing yoga. Honestly, it's so basic, but I really love yoga. It's helped me so much. I love to watch like nature documentaries narrated by David Attenborough. It feels... It feels super therapeutic to me. I have no idea why, but I just love like hearing his voice. He's super like soothing. And he just gets me in a damn good mood, okay? Um, I find that reading is really good therapy. And as well as petting dogs. In fact, you know what? Petting dogs is at the top of my list. I love dogs. You don't even... Y'all don't even know. To me, I would say that I'm in quite a good headspace um, majority of the time because I constantly want to be better, which I think is quite indicative that I'm okay or I'm progressing. I do have my moments that require a deal of energy to get out of, but yeah, I think it's a work in progress and I'm working on it. 
So if you guys know of services, focus group, IG pages that help to promote mental well-being, habits and you know therapy places that are cheap or if you just want to share your story with me, please reach out to me via Instagram. Just drop me a DM. Um, I think we could all do with a bit more sharing and helping one another out and hopefully the institutions and corporations will catch up soon. With that, welcome back to Something Private. New episodes are going to be out every Monday, so stay tuned. Subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, and on whatever podcast app you use. So with that, I'll see you guys next week for another episode. Bye!